Right. And we have a ton of volunteers who give so much time to Surfrider. And that really keeps me going, too, because I want to support them and help them be as successful as possible. So, you know, I really get inspired by uh, all of our volunteers who take time out of their day to help protect the ocean also. Welcome to the Stakeholders Podcast, the show where we try to answer the question, what's at stake? We dive into how an organization's pursuit of their objectives affect or are affected by the people. Our guests come from the private industry, government, education, and more to discuss how they manage with their stakeholders in mind to achieve long-term success. Today, we're joined by Bill Hickman, the Southern California Regional Manager for the Surfrider Foundation. And Bill, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. As the Surfrider Foundation Southern California Regional Manager, my main role is to help support the nine volunteer-led Surfrider chapters in Southern California. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Surfrider Foundation, we are a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to the protection and enjoyment of the world's ocean, waves, and beaches for all people through a powerful activist network. I think our biggest strength is the nationwide network of local chapters and student-run clubs all throughout the United States. Uh, my journey to Surfrider started as a kid when I fell in love with the ocean and surfing in Delaware during summer visits to see my grandparents. I went to college in Miami, and I think part of the reason was to be near the ocean. Uh, South Beach in Miami can get some really good waves sometimes, but it's pretty fickle. So after college, I moved out to San Diego. Uh, I put my business degree to use working for financial services firms there, but it was not really fulfilling at the end of the day. Growing up, my parents were involved with community service, and that seemed like something that I should do uh, once I had some free time. So when I moved to San Diego, I started volunteering for the Surfrider Foundation. I wanted to help protect the ocean and help protect all the critters in the ocean who don't have a voice for themselves. Um, that led to me serving on the chapter executive committee down in San Diego and my volunteer time helped me to get a job with the chapter eventually. And that's how I got started with Surfrider. Man, that's really cool. And it's really funny hearing kind of like your choice to move to Miami for you know the ocean kind of parallels why I moved down to Southern California. I kind of came down here to move closer to the coast and uh, I use education as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Whatever it takes sometimes, right? Exactly. And that's really amazing. And um, what, um, what was it like to move from that like volunteer experience to kind of being a paid employee? Was that weird for you? Uh, well, it just felt like an extension of my volunteer experience. You know, it, it just seemed like I was leveling up to the next challenge. And I was really fortunate to be able to turn it into a career, a full-time job. And, you know, it just uh, I came with a lot of responsibility also, you know, mainly to myself. You know, I wanted to do a good job. Uh, you know, we get donations from people, from businesses and grants. And you want to be responsible for the people that are supporting the organization. So, um, it's a great honor to get started with Surfrider and and be with them for for over 15 years. Yeah, and I, I always think it's really interesting that the people that kind of find their purpose and that line between getting paid or doing it for free, it's kind of blurred. Like it doesn't exist necessarily. And I feel like I'm kind of picking up the same thing from you. 
Right. And we have a ton of volunteers who give so much time to Surfrider. And that really keeps me going, too, because I want to support them and help them be as successful as possible. So, you know, I really get inspired by uh, all of our volunteers who take time out of their day to help protect the ocean also. You said that you feel this responsibility to the critters with the ocean that don't have a voice for themselves. What, in your opinion, has that improved in the sense of like environmental disasters and maybe like companies taking responsibility for these things? Well, it's kind of one step forward, maybe one step back. You know, we're definitely doing some good things out there. Uh, a lot of uh, protection and improvements for the coast and the ocean, but uh, the coast is under constant pressure, you know, whether it's beach access, uh, building right along the coast, um, you know, continuing our our um, use of fossil fuels. Uh, we recently saw the, the fire in the Gulf of Mexico um, and some of the other issues that are out there. So definitely some some good progress, but still a bit frustrating that we're not all the way there yet. Well, what they call it, the eye of fire, that really got me mad. Like you think that after the, what, 2010, 2011 BP spill, we learned our lesson. Right, exactly. That was really scary. That just looked like something out of a, a fictional movie or something. It was it was nuts. Yeah, a lot of people were commenting about how it looks like Godzilla was going to walk out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I can see that. It was a little terrible, but... Um, Bill, that I really appreciate kind of like giving yourself an intro. And um, right now uh, we met through the Ventura chapter of the Surfrider Foundation. And um, there's some really cool things happening in Ventura. Um, partly in the last couple of years, we've had things like the plastic straw bands and a couple of other things. And recently uh, the chapter had uh, a win by banning uh, styrofoam in the uh, Ventura area. Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe um, what that took and um, how you got that passed? Sure. Uh, Surfrider hosts uh, tons of beach cleanups. Uh, we typically host uh, at least one beach cleanup every month at Surfers Point here in Ventura. We've really upped our game down at the Ormond Lagoon and Ormond Beach uh, near Port Wyneme and Oxnard also, because that's a, a critical spot that has been plagued by litter. And uh, we always try to track uh, data, you know, the number of people who come, the pounds that we pick up, and as much as possible, the items that we pick up. And over time, one of the top items that we see is expanded polystyrene foam. A lot of people know it as styrofoam. Um, it's that really light plastic that is made into cups, food containers, uh, things along those lines. Uh, it is light. It gets uh, blown by the wind easily. It breaks into small pieces easily. And there are better alternatives out there. So we identified that as one of the biggest problems here in Ventura County. And the Surfrider Foundation started a plastics-free Ventura campaign uh, with a goal of banning styrofoam and other plastic items in the city of Ventura, other cities, and really, you know, strike a wave throughout Ventura County. So the expanded polystyrene foam was one of the first things and the easiest to take action on. So uh, what we did is we started by meeting with Ventura City Council members to gauge their interest on the issue, to see what kind of concerns they may have, and to see if they could support something like this for the city. And 
meeting with them, uh, it seemed clear that, yes, we have uh, some champions on city council who are willing to take this on and support from other council members also. So uh, as part of our overall campaign, we also wanted to work with restaurants uh, to survey them and to find out what they were using, see what some of their concerns may be. Uh, we wanted to work with uh, residents and visitors alike. So we started a postcard drive to get signatures uh, of support from um, both people who live in Ventura and people who come to visit also. Um, visitors and tourism is really important to Ventura's economy. So we wanted to have a broad group of stakeholders showing support for the ordinance. So it took uh, about two years for the campaign to start, um, get everything done, and then approved by city council, who eventually approved a citywide ordinance that would ban expanded polystyrene foam food containers at restaurants and then also at retailers uh, citywide. So uh, you can't go into Target or some of the other retail stores and buy styrofoam cups or plates, things along those lines. So it was great to see. Uh, hopefully this is just the first step in helping to reduce plastic pollution and we can look at other plastic items and ideally embrace more reusable items at the end of the day and get away from the disposable ones. Wow. So you actually have even like Target can't sell styrofoam in the local community anymore. That's really interesting. Yeah, uh, we looked at some of the other ordinances that were drafted up throughout the state and tried to bring in some of the best pieces of those. And uh, that's a way to help address the issue beyond just restaurants, because uh, some of that litter comes from the beaches and parks when people go down there for a picnic and uh, they may look for the cheapest item that's out there. You know, maybe it's, you know, 50 cents cheaper, a dollar cheaper, but they just uh, see that option with the uh, expanded polystyrene products. And uh, unfortunately, they blow away the easiest, break into small pieces the easiest. So um, addressing the issue as comprehensive as possible is really important. So you broke it down to the psychology of why people buy the styrofoam itself. And then from there, you were like, well, the only way to really stop people from buying it is to disallow it completely because it's the cost effective option for most people. Right. You know, unfortunately, that's what it's come down to in some of these cases, just because um, of a combination of the items being inferior and people not uh, taking care of their mess, really, at the end of the day. And uh, it's really great because it also bans those foam coolers at the retail stores also. So now people are forced to get more uh, durable and reusable ones that, you know, will hopefully save money over time and be better for the environment. Yeah, man, th those big ones just break apart so easily. Like everyone tries to sit on them. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're lucky to get one full use out of them, you know, <laughs> if, if uh, that's a good day. Yeah. So it, it sounds like there's quite a bit of people involved. There's a lot of different moving pieces and bits and pieces. Um, what, in your opinion, who are the primary stakeholders of what you're trying to do with this ban? Obviously, the um, businesses are involved, but there, there's a bigger picture in mind. Uh, am I correct? Sure. Yes. In the nonprofit world, I think we may have the broadest definition of stakeholder because we often want to bring everyone under the tent, really, at the end of the day. 
Um, on many of our projects, we work with businesses, government agencies, other NGOs, all while constantly trying to increase public support for our efforts. Working with the sustainability department for the city of Ventura was great. They're helping to implement the ban on expanded polystyrene. So when we drafted uh, our campaign plan here in Ventura for this, we identified as many diverse stakeholders as possible, from city council members to restaurants to cities and tourists alike. Yeah, and I feel like tourists, if we had to kind of like identify them, are most likely like secondary stakeholders, right? Because we're trying to make it beautiful for them, but that is not really a primary purpose of what's going on here. Exactly. Yep, that you nailed it. We do have those um, primary stakeholders and then secondary ones. But um, at the end of the day, uh, tourists and their tourism dollars uh, is important to venture and something to um, keep on the radar for the decision makers. That, that is very true. And, and from what I understand, this is a very local um, bill at the moment. Uh, and it sounds like you've taken a little bit of... Um, a little bit of inspiration from other bills from other counties and cities. What would it take to get this to be across all of California? Yeah, that's a great question because the one that was passed recently was just for the city of Ventura. So it basically applies to restaurants and retail stores within city limits. So uh, Ojai has a similar ban on EPS foam products. I believe Thousand Oaks passed one also. Uh, we're working with Port Wyneme next and ideally get all cities in Ventura County on board. I believe there are over 150 local ordinances uh, reducing plastic pollution throughout California. But really, at the end of the day, what we'd like to do is get a strong, comprehensive bill done statewide. You know, that'll have the widest impact. It'll level the playing field uh, for all of the producers and stores to know what the statewide law is rather than having to deal with a patchwork of local ordinances that may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Um, but, you know, really at the end of the day, it's always tougher to scale things up because that's when the opposition, which is basically the plastic producers, uh, that's when they open up their walls to fight meaningful legislation. Uh, last year in 2020, there was a comprehensive statewide bill that failed to pass at the end of the legislative session. Uh, the approach this year seems to be more of a piecemeal one of more targeted bills focused on specific items. So, you know, it gets, you know, a lot tougher once we get to the statewide level. But in some really good news, last week it was announced that there is an initiative that provides a comprehensive solution to plastic pollution that will appear on California's November 22 ballot, 2022 ballot, excuse me. Uh, this means that California voters next year will have the chance to approve a first in the nation law that could effectively end certain major sources of plastic pollution. Uh, the California Secretary of State, Dr. Shirley Weber, certified the qualification of the California Recycling and Plastic Pollution Reduction Act, confirming that it will be on the November 22 ballot. The measure provides a comprehensive solution to California's plastic waste crisis from product manufacturing and use to disposal and recycling to polluted habitat restoration and neighborhood cleanup. Through a maximum one cent per item fee on manufacturers of plastic packaging and foodware, 
The measure will make a once in a generation investment in communities and natural resources to both prevent the harmful effects of plastic pollution and clean up the impacts. So we're really excited about that and glad that the voters will have a chance to weigh in next year. Wow. Okay. So that's like coming up in like about a year and a half now. That's really exciting. How involved were was like Surfrider, if at all, in making this happen? Do you think that these small incremental wins in the local uh, areas kind of like pushed, uh, you know, the state government to take action? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Surfrider and other nonprofit groups are really having a big impact helping to push legislation like this forward and get the det- get the attention of our statewide legislators and uh, businesses that are out there as well. So what's coming up in November 22 was a ballot initiative. So some groups led by, I believe it was Ecology up in the San Francisco Bay Area, gathered enough signatures to put this item on the ballot next year. So Uh, you know, is really an effort that started with these local ordinances and built some momentum to help attack this plastic crisis. You know, if you're out there on the beach, in the ocean, uh, out there on our trails, uh, you can't avoid uh, litter and plastic pollution. And a lot of it is uh, the corporations trying to blame people for litter, while really at the end of the day, it's their disposable inferior products Uh, that are the problem. So if we can start to address plastic pollution more at the source rather than cleaning up, it'll be a much more effective approach. Yeah, that's really interesting. And there's like so much involved there. Like you start from the very, not from the very bottom, but you start from this super local level. You get people like riled up and you start like making noise about something that's like a real issue and it slowly kind of makes itself up, kind of makes its way up the ladder. And My next question is going to be even bigger. Like, what do you think it would take to get something like this to the federal level? Sure. Uh, Surfrider headquarters has actually been a key part of the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, which is a nationwide uh, version of a comprehensive plastic reduction bill. And uh, that is something that has been Uh, led by some key legislators in Congress and is starting to see more momentum. Um, I don't know if it's going to be passed this year or next year, but it's something that's uh, on the radar and increasing for sure. So we are seeing some movement on the federal level. Um, Again, the plastic pollution crisis is is too big to ignore. I think uh, it's up there with climate change as a couple of the top environmental issues that uh, need attention. So It's good to see it's on the radar, but uh, we need to get some of this uh, more comprehensive legislation across the finish line uh, at the highest level possible. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And and the stat that really scares me is the we consume the equivalent of a of a credit card every week. (laughs) Right. You know, um, I think uh, stuff like that is 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 really powerful. you know, I, I forget some of the specifics on those. You know, it's really tough to, to keep them on all straight. You know, some of them need to be traced back to their source a little bit more. But any way you cut it, um, you know, plastic pollution is uh, affecting, you know, so many different parts of our lives and having uh, deep impacts on marine life, 
and possibly human life as well. So, um, you know, it's something that definitely needs more studies and more action taken. Yeah. Um, and Bill, I really appreciate you taking the time to really meet today. And I love asking this question of all of my guests. Um, it's always just full of insight. There's this concept called the separation fallacy. And it is the idea that good business decisions generally don't use ethics because it hinders the business or the good ethical decisions are generally not business related because business is only out to get like out to get you. <laughs> and I think that this is a fallacy, but I'm really curious if you've experienced this in your personal life, in your career, um, and kind of like what you've done to maybe try to guide a decision away from it being, you know, just business focused. Well, I think that may be most applicable to publicly traded companies with the mantra of increasing shareholder equity. For a long time, it seemed like anything that did not directly increase shareholder equity was viewed as a distraction not to be considered. Uh, now the consumers are more conscious about the materials that go into products, how workers are treated, and other concerns. Uh, companies uh, want to be seen as good global citizens more often. I think that's opened the door for ethical decisions to be viewed as more of a good long-term investment for companies rather than a short-term expense. Um, but that still does come with caution. Uh, you know, while that's uh, good in general, it's opened the door for greenwashing more and more. So greenwashing is when a company claims to be doing something good for the environment, but it's really misleading or an unstantiated claim. A good example are bioplastics that are made into things such as cups and utensils. While the products may start as corn instead of oil, the polymers act much like traditional plastics when they are littered and they don't biodegrade in our lifetime. So they have the same impacts as regular plastics at the end of the day. So those bioplastics often claim to be compostable, but they don't compost or break down in a backyard bin. They need to go to an industrial compost facility, which is something that most communities don't have access to. Additionally, the bioplastics are not recyclable and they can cause issues of mixed with traditional plastics for recycling. So unfortunately, it can get really confusing for consumers to make the right choices. Uh, in general, Surfrider is pushing for more reusable items instead of disposable ones, no matter what they're made of. Yeah, I was listening to, uh, to a podcast recently about all the different greenwashing certifications that are out there, and it really bummed me out um, <laughs> that, that that's now an industry uh, in itself. It is. It's uh, really concerning. I believe here in the state of California, um, no item can be labeled as biodegradable because there's not a verified uni universal standard for it. So, um, you know, truth in packaging and things along those lines are, are really important. And, uh, you know, as I said, it can be really misleading and, you know, hard for consumers to, to really understand. So, that's really when uh, legislation and having some of these laws is important. You know, um, you know, as we get bigger and more complex, uh, it seems like there's more opportunities to, you know, take advantage of shortcuts and uh, things like that. So these are some of the situations where legislation is good. Um, I'm not a fan of, you know, more legislation in general, but sometimes it's needed to address these important issues. That is very well said. And Bill, 
I want to thank you again for being on the show today. Uh, there's just been so much uh, great insight that you shared with us. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to uh, share before we sign off today? Hey, just thanks for having me today. Uh, Surfrider is always looking for new volunteers. So check us out at surfrider.org and get involved with your local chapter. I'll make sure to link that in the link below. I'm a huge proponent. Um, and thank you again, Bill. And I'll see the rest of my listeners in the next episode.